Good morning. I hope your heart is full today because you're here to celebrate the resurrected Christ. This morning I received a text message from a great friend of mine and it said, He is risen. And I texted back, and we are forgiven. And all God's people said, amen to that. All right, so I'm going to say, he is risen. And then you're going to follow that with, he is risen indeed. Okay? Everybody got that? Got it. All right, he is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. One more time. He is risen And then I'm going to say, I am forgiven, and you're going to respond with, I am forgiven. I am forgiven. And all God's people said, amen. I'm not even preaching today. One of the special, um, I guess, pieces of, of grace is that at, at Grace uh, Community Church, we are elder-led with a pastor. I'm the pastor of the church, but I work with a group of shepherds who help to lead and guide and direct this body. And one of the great privileges I have is to be able to surrender the pulpit, so to speak, at times during the year, which I love to do, honestly. You know, um, I like to sit and listen. And I think it's important for pastors to do that. Last summer, if you remember, we had several shepherd pastors stand up here and, and teach and preach week to week and did a fantastic job. So if you're visiting with us today, we're thrilled you're here. And you're going to hear pastor, uh, pastor, I'm going to call him Pastor David Nichols this morning because he's a shepherd. And uh, typically you would come and, and I'll be behind the pulpit and we're going through First John and if you're visiting today and you want to know more about what it is to, to love uh, the body of Christ and how important that is as you walk each day, come next week and we'll discuss that. But this morning we have the great privilege to be able to hear um, Pastor David Nichols as he speaks about grace. And um, I wanted to uh, begin this morning by having you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. I'm not going to change where the pulpit is and its height. Because typically it's much lower. Because I'm pretty short. Um, Pastor David's a little taller than I am. But that's not going to hinder me from reading the word. I'd like you to stand as we look together. at 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 10. Paul writes, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, According to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, 
and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And Paul says, And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And if you go back and read Acts chapter 8, you'll see that where Paul was there even at the stoning of Stephen, which is given to us in the book of Acts as well. Verse 10, but by the grace, notice this word grace is mentioned three times just in this verse. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, Paul says, but the grace of God with me. May the Lord bless the reading of his word uh, this morning. Let's bow and let's pray uh, together. Lord, we are so thankful this morning that we are praying to the living God. Thank you this morning that we can celebrate your resurrection. And for believers, as we do every day, we can celebrate the fact that we serve a risen Savior. This morning, Lord, we want you to receive all the glory and all the honor. I pray that we've come to this place this morning with our hearts and our minds in the right place. In a crowd this size, I'm quite certain there may be some in here who have never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. I pray that your Holy Spirit will work in hearts and in lives today as as we sing and as David brings the message, I pray that your spirit would lead and I pray most of all that you would receive all the honor and glory. Thank you to be able to say that not only are you alive, but those of us who are in Christ are forgiven. And so we just praise your name. And all these things we say to the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen.
are people of the risen King. We are children of the living God. That's why we celebrate not only today, but every Lord's Day. Because we are united in him and we can sing this song. O Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you created all things, and by your word they exist, and you have created all.
like you. There are no works like yours. We bow down before you, Lord, and will honor your name, for you are great and perform wonders. You alone are God.
Our soul sings with the thought of him, what he has done for sending his son to cleanse us from our sins. So when we come together, we must always remember to celebrate Jesus, his birth, his life, his suffering, his journey to the cross, and finally, his empty tomb. And now we wait for that day when he will come again and take us to heaven. And on that day, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth.
God provided his love for us and that while we were still sinners, his son Jesus died for us. There is nothing that we can do to earn or deserve his love. And if we belong to him, there is nothing we can do that would make him ever turn his back on us. For we are saved by grace through faith, and it is not from ourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so no one can boast.
drink a drink of water after that. And I want to say the choir is so blessed to be able to sing. You know, so many churches don't have choirs these days. And I want to thank you from the choir. I thank the leadership of our church and thank you because of your support. Because I've been almost 50 years singing in the choir. I didn't know I was going to get emotional about saying that. But <laughs> the choir is just a huge blessing um, to the people in it because uh, our greatest worship times many times is our practice. And uh, if you're blessed by it, know that we've been blessed many times over. <laughs> so just thank the Lord for, um, for the choir. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, <clears throat> again for the, this moment in time when, God, we can set aside to recognize and renew, uh, uh, realize all renewed again in our own mind, the resurrection. Father, you died on the cross as a man. It proved you were a man. But God, the resurrection proves you were God. <laughs> we thank you for the resurrection. We would be most miserable without the resurrection. We'd be hopeless. So, Father, we thank you for the resurrection. And we thank you for the day we celebrate it today. Lord, I thank you that we're not praying to some piece of wood or a piece of stone or, a, or an idol or an ancestor or, or anything else or man. We're praying to you, the living God, who hears and sees and cares about us, wants to be intimate with us through relationship. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your presence here today. I pray you'd lead, guide, and direct. Father, I just pray you'd bless the service now and the rest of it. And uh, what's said now, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, there wouldn't be a resurre- uh, wouldn't be, uh, resurrection without grace. <laughs> thought about that this week. And that's our topic. What a great song to end on because what we're going to be discussing today is the screen on. There you go. It's the gift of grace. When Ron told me about the, the music and the theme of grace, even what the scripture had read, you know, grace was three times in there. Uh, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna remember grace when you leave today. <laughs> That's the goal. Uh, you're going to hear the word grace a hundred times. And um, if you've come for a real soft little sweet message about the resurrection, you've come to the wrong church. <laughs> uh, this is going to be a message about grace that, that I have been thinking through for four years. And when I heard he was going to be doing music about grace, I didn't twist Thad's arm, but I kind of discussed it with him and gave him some notes. And he said, looks like God wants you to preach this message. <laughs> so I'm thankful to be here and to share some thoughts with you. The Lord's been working on me for a long time. Let me ask you, do you like to travel? Some people like to travel. And, um, you know, I do. Melinda doesn't. If, if there's not a grandchild or a reason to go, she'd just soon stay at home. <laughs> she don't care about traveling so much. Uh, I know that Ron and Denise got, just got back from uh, San Antonio, had a great trip out in San Antonio. And I know you, I know you people, we're a traveling church. <laughs> uh, Brent and Sharon, I asked Brent a couple weeks ago, um, what's the longest trip you had ever taken? And I think he texted back like 10,000 miles in five days or something. I mean, Brent travels all over the place. He, they have seen every lighthouse in the Western Hemisphere. <laughs> he loves to drive. I hate to drive, I'd rather fly, but he loves to drive. Well, I've been on a journey for four years, and um, one of our brothers, my brother Steve, asked me this morning, he said, are you nervous? And I said, no, I think it's more adrenaline. (laughs) I'm like right before a race. (laughs) I got things cooped up inside me. I've been learning for four years, and I'm really excited to share with you about it. And it's all about grace, Um, all about grace. Grace is something we talk about, we sing about it, we read about it, we teach it, we preach it, we embrace it, we believe it. We've named our church Grace Community Church. We're grace people. (laughs) We're grace people, but do we really understand the daily impact that God's grace has in our lives? I've taken Bible courses on it. <laughs> I've taught 
I've taught subjects, uh, the subject of grace. I've shared grace with people as I've shared the gospel. I've experienced grace in a multitude of ways, known and unknown. But I've never spent a lot of time just thinking about it and trying to recognize it, meditating on it, you know, through the day, making it a focus of my life until the last few years. And uh, Thad preached a great message, I remember, about a year ago on the grace of service. I don't know if you remember that, Thad, but it was very convicting to me. And I thought about it a lot after, and it was so convicting, so much so that I began to realize, I think so many times as Christians, we're too busy living in grace, taking it for granted to truly appreciate the various and amazing ways that God gives us his grace. You know that every breath you take is a gift of grace? (laughs) Every breath you take. Every struggle you survive is a gift of grace, (laughs) no matter what it is. God's grace is amazing. I, I... Started this journey really in 2018. I found myself in the hospital with an abdominal aortic aneurysm. They call it a triple A. And my doctor discovered this aneurysm on my lower aorta. So I had to go to UAB. I was in the hospital. It was, it was actually caused from a bacterial infection from my horses. We had horses for 25 years, and I was feeding them and handling them. And, and it was really amazing. When he told us it was uh, called strep equi, and uh, he said it was rare, and we Googled that. And we found that there was only three people in the world that had it. <laughs> I was the fourth. <laughs> so it's very rare. But I got a disease from a horse that attacked my heart, and I almost died. So while I was in the hospital, the stay was very humbling. It was very humbling. Uh, just your, your cards and notes and prayers was very humbling. And if you've been in the hospital, I know a lot of you have, <laughs> it's always a humbling experience uh, to be there and to be ministered to. You're always the guy in charge. Now you're being ministered to. It means so much. And, and the cards and all that y'all did for me there. Um, but my, my doctors came in, and they, they said after the surgery, I was in ICU. And they said, Dave, you were in great shape. You know, you were beating your pastor playing racquetball every night. You're good health and everything. <laughs> it was a Monday night. I beat you. <laughs> so this is Tuesday. I'm, I'm seeing the doctor. And uh, by Friday, I had that surgery. And they said, you, you're, a, you're a poster child for AAA surgery. You did great. And that was great. I was so thankful. I was so thankful. I was thankful for their skill. I was thankful for the great care of the nurses. Some of the, not all the nurses, mind you. If you're a nurse, listen, if you're a good nurse, I told my nurses, you're working on the Mother Teresa Award. <laughs> if you're a good nurse. <laughs> the bad ones, I ain't got, you know, I don't want to say anything. <laughs> uh, there were some. But great, great nurses at UAB took care of me. But mostly laying there broken, I was just blown away by the grace of God. And thinking about that, there was down the hall a few, a few rooms down to my right, there was a fellow my age, and he died. And I remember Melinda came in crying. She was trying to console the family. And there was a guy straight across from me, and they had the curtain there, and I could hear his family wailing when they told him he was dying. And I'm like, why me? <laughs> I don't know why. But I was just blown away by God's grace, and um. And just thinking through that, you know, as I lay there and thinking, Lord, what purpose do you have for leaving me here? My doctor told me when he first found this that it was an extremely fortunate find. Most people just drop dead from an aneurysm, and that's the only symptom you get. (laughs) So I was really blessed that God found this. He kept calling it an incidental find, and I kept saying, no, it's interventional. (laughs) It's not incidental at all. (laughs) Thank the Lord, you know. So... This message really began there. It was born there in that difficult situation and circumstance of my life. And God's been teaching me more and more and more about his grace. And part of that's not easy because the, the road, the pathway to grace is through humility. So I've never prayed for humility in my life. I don't know if you do. 
I never would. <laughs> but, but patience and humility are two things that we tend to stay away from as Christians. <laughs> so, you know, through that, through that, through that journey I've been on, I'm, I'm praying and trying to recognize grace, receive it into my life, and rejoice in it. And that's what I want to share with you today. I want to encourage you about God's amazing grace. I want to encourage you about his grace. I hope that when we leave today, that we leave with a deeper, fuller appreciation of God's grace. Just to start, here's the definition. Grace in the Old Testament used 40 times as chin. It's a favor, pleasant, precious, grace, words like that. That word was first used in Genesis 6. Now, the first example of grace would have been in Genesis 3.21 when God took animal skins and put them on Adam and Eve. He covered them, forgave them their skins. I think it was lamb skins, but it may not have been, but it was, it was a skin covering. But then in Genesis 6, verse 8, uh, he says that Noah, but Noah, all the, all the evil in the world, but Noah found grace. And whenever I read that, like later, he said, uh, Mary, you are blessed, be, you found favor with God. It's really, that's the same word in the Greek is favor. And really, it's that grace found you. <laughs> you didn't find anything. God found you. Grace found you. And that's what he told Noah. So that word's used 40 times uh, in the Old Testament. And then in the New, the New Testament word we know is charis, where we get our word charisma. It's translated 170 times. And it's like grace and favor and gift is a good one and thanks and several other words in the, in the New Testament. And we also know that we use definitions for grace like um, uh, undeserved gift or unmerited favor or God giving us the desire, the power, the will to do his will, you know. And grace is the opposite of mercy. Grace is God giving you something you don't deserve, and mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. And they work in tandem in the, in the Bible. So I want to look today at this subject with you. Oh, wait a minute. Let me go back to this. It was going, all right, well, when I was in the hospital, when I was in the hospital, uh, I read my, I had my devotions, and I did this, I read this verse in Ephesians, and it says, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved, and I read that, and I use a Christian standard Bible, so in the bottom, I have all the Spurgeon notes, I love Spurgeon, and you're going to get him twice today, this was the first one I read, the first thing that set all this in motion in my mind, I mean, I was appreciative of grace, but I wasn't making notes until I read this. <laughs> and I started making notes because God was speaking to me. And Spurgeon said this. Look, look at this. God is essentially glorious. When God glorifies his grace, he glorifies his whole character. Grace becomes a platform upon which all the perfections of deity express themselves. And grace becomes a light which shines on all the rest. And they, albeit bright enough in themselves, seem doubly bright when they glow in its brilliance. Think about that. So when I read that, I was like, yeah, God. Grace is like a conduit in which all the, all the um, attributes, all the characteristics of, of yourself, all your godly characteristics are revealed to man through grace. Grace is the revelation of all of that to man. And, and it's the conduit by which that flows. And the thought of just how great God's grace is began to penetrate my mind. So I began to, I put some thoughts together about that, and I said, well, how would God's grace work with his attributes, with his characteristics? Is that true? Does, does grace, because he says here, grace becomes a light which shines on all the rest, and they are all, 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 albeit bright enough in themselves, they seem doubly bright when they glow in its brilliance. So there's five dimensions of God's grace I want to 
I want to look at today as seen through the lens of his attributes or his character. And those five are sufficient grace, grace that's greater than all our sin, saving grace, heals our sin sick so, sanctifying grace keeps us holy, serving grace keeps us humble, <laughs> and surpassing grace keeps us hopeful, keeps us hopeful. Now, it's important to remember, this is a slide I went to a minute ago, John 1, 14 through 17. You might want to turn there, but and make a note in your Bible. It's a familiar passage, but I want to read it to you. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth through Jesus Christ. When I read that, I realized Christ doesn't give us his grace as a gift, like a package. We say we're saved by grace through the gift of grace. But it's not, it's not delivered by UPS or FedEx or, or Christmas present or birthday present or something like that. When he gives you grace, he's giving you himself. He's giving you himself. Christ is not filled with grace. He is grace. <laughs> He's gracious. He is all about grace. God is the, is the originator and sustainer of grace. And um, uh, John 1.14 tells us that. He's the fullness of grace and truth. Christ is not filled with grace. And then the psalmist said, the Lord is a gracious God. He is grace in, 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 in itself. Jesus is grace. He is all about it. So let's look at how God's grace relates to those attributes because the gift of God, the gift of grace streams from the God he is. All right? In uh, sufficient grace, we know that when Paul had this infirmity, some people think it was an eye infection. He prayed three times that God would heal him and God didn't heal him. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. In the Greek, it's really, it's all sufficient. (laughs) My grace is all you need. Okay? And then in Romans 5, there's a big passage there, but it brings out some really good truths about how much his grace is all sufficient. <laughs> it's super abundant. And he says here, if by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So then, as through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone, So also through one righteous act, there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as though one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. This verse, the law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also will grace reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a pretty big passage. But 21, 20 and 21, when it says there, and it talks about grace multiplied, in the um, Amplified it says grace did abound in superabundance, in superabundance. And he talks about grace reigning there. Grace reigning, it abounding. Paul's saying that no matter how deep your sin is, no matter how bad you think you are, no matter how bad the world gets, God will forgive you. God's grace has surpassed all of that. He has this overflowing, exceeding measure of abounding grace. (laughs) It's unlimited. 
It's unlimited. Let's look at some of that. He's an all-sufficient God. God's grace is all-sufficient because he himself is all-sufficient. That verse in John I read you a minute ago, it mentioned the fullness. This is good right here because out of his fullness, that word is the superabundance of his grace is what the Amplified says. We have all received grace upon grace, spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, favor upon favor, gift heaped upon gift. (laughs) Out of Christ, all that comes to us. Out of Jesus, all sufficient. And that word, fullness, is a great word. It's a rich word. It's, it's piroma in the Greek. And it's defined as overflowing. So out of Jesus, he's overflowing with this superabundance of grace. And it's used in Colossians 2.9. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of the Godhead, the deity, dwells bodily. Fullness, overflowing. Jesus is overflowing with the Godhead. Overflowing with it. And that's, that's how much grace God has to administer to us. All right? Just think about that. It's amazing. So full of grace and truth, it flows out of him in a superabundance. It's like baskets overflowing. I, I couldn't think of a good example. I kept thinking about uh, Niagara Falls, like a blind foging carry up there. And I thought, no, that really doesn't do it. And I thought about the ocean and the hurricanes. And, I said, no, that didn't do it. and then I thought about the national debt. That, that'd do it. It's, it's like that. It's bad. This morning, kind of like 2 in the morning, I woke up. The national debt. Yeah, that's a good example. That's overflowing grace. That's what it is. It's unstoppable. It's just crazy. Baskets full. And that's what he's talking about there in that verse. God's grace is more than sufficient to save us. <laughs> he's more than sufficient to keep us. And he gives us himself over and over and over. All the time. The Holy Spirit, when we're saved, he comes in and he lives in us. He dwells in us. And his grace floods our lives. His grace overcomes any sin in my life. Any sin. There's nothing that his grace cannot overcome. There's nothing. His grace covers all my sin, no matter how wide, no matter how deep it is, it's going to cover it. And his grace is eternal. Unlimited by time and space. Unlimited by circumstances in life. His grace is eternal because God himself is eternal. When we speak of God's grace, (laughs) it's an eternal grace. It never stops. It never ends. It has no beginning. It has no end. It's from everlasting to everlasting. (laughs) We never have to worry about it running out. I was thinking about my propane bottles. I was worried all winter about them running out. And I've got like a 1,000 gallons. That's a lot of propane. We live out in the country. There's no gas. And you know when I put those in was in Y2K. All of you that are a little older know about Y2K. In 1999, as the clock ticked to 2000, the whole world was going to shut down. You remember? How many of you made preparations for Y2K? Uh, I see. I mean, we've still got food in the closet in in this big room in our house that's good for 25 years. We still got it. (laughs) It was a doomsday preparation for Y2K. I put generators in each room. And, uh, you know, we put, a, we put a generator outside, that is, and I put heaters in each room. <laughs> we did some things for that preparation that we still use. And I, I use my heater, my fireplace, uh, all, all winter. And I always worry about that propane running out. But you know what? Just an example, because God's never going to run out. <laughs> we never got to worry about that. <laughs> it's eternal. His grace is eternal. And it just goes on and on and on. And as much as I've sinned, I don't know how it continues to forgive me. What about you? I mean, you know, you think about it. You think about it. The struggles we have, but his grace continues. His grace is an extension of who he is. It's an extension of it. A.W. Tozer said this, the grace of God is infinite. Beyond our ability to measure it, 
His grace has no beginning and therefore no end. Now that should comfort us because we're a sinful people. <laughs> I am so sinful. And I want to I do what I want to do when I want to do it. You know? And it gets me in trouble over and over and over and over in my relationship with Christ. In broken fellowship. But his grace is always there. His grace is all sufficient and his grace is eternal. That's sufficient grace. What about saving grace? Titus tells us this, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. The grace of God. What is this? Who is it? Well, verse 10 tells us that they that may adorn the doctrine of God are Savior in things. The grace of God? I'm talking about the Savior, Jesus. He brings salvation to all men. Ephesians says this, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that word grace and that, that whole section there, is you could replace Jesus with it. For by Jesus... For by Jesus we've been saved, and for by the grace of God we've been saved, through Jesus we've been saved. You could almost, they're interchangeable. Grace is the engine, grace is the engine of salvation, and it runs on eternal fuel. Remember that. So in this ideal of saving grace, God is a loving and a compassionate God. He loves you. He's compassionate. He's always loving you, always compassionate. There's a section of scripture in Exodus that I've been reading. In Exodus 33 and 34, if you get a chance later, sometime this week, read that. It is, it is filled with this word chin, this word grace. And it's all about that section 33 and 34 is about when Moses goes up and wants to see God's face. God's talking to him like a friend talks to a friend. <laughs> he said, well, it's reasonable to think I could see your face if you're my friend. <laughs> so God says, no, no, no man can see my face and live, but I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. Then a little later, he goes down and he brings the two tablets that he cut. See, he had the tablets God cut, and he threw them down and crashed them. And God said, go, go cut two more tablets and come see me. So he goes up to the mountain, and that's what's happening here in these verses. He goes up before God, and the Lord said, The Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there, proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord. The Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love and truth maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity and rebellion and sin. He's a gracious God and a loving God. We may think that we're just too horrible, too sinful. There's no way for me. Yes, God cares. He loves you, and he cares about you. And so in John three sixteen, verse we all know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That is the greatest demonstration of the grace of God. That gift demonstrates God's grace better than anything in the world. God's grace and his love are inseparable. Where would we be without the grace of God? And where would we be without the love of God? Dr. Anderson said it's a love that can't be earned. It's a love that can't be lost. Grace and love are two chief characteristics that motivated God to come to earth. His grace and his love. Now, on the other hand, what about his justice? (laughs) How can he be gracious and just? How can he be gracious and just? The justice of God is the vehicle, I put it this way, it's the vehicle that propels God into action. If God wasn't absolutely just, there would never be a need or demonstration of the grace of God. They work in tandem. The justice of God and the grace of God. God's grace is equal to his justice. When justice demands a payment, the riches of God's grace step forward to pay the price. (laughs) 
<laughs> and when, when justice renders a guilty verdict, grace offers the payment. Grace results in propitiation of God and satisfaction. See? So justice and grace work hand in hand. They, work, they go together. There would be no grace. There would be no justice and grace. There would, they could, they, there would be no need for God's saving grace without if he wasn't a just God. And grace would not be fully manifested if it weren't for his justice. Okay, so we looked at all sufficient grace and saving grace. What about sanctifying grace? Sanctifying grace. Uh, one slide I didn't put up, one verse, is in Titus 2, 11 through 12. Those verses in Titus 2, 11 to 12 tell us that the grace of God not only brings salvation. That's good. <laughs> he saves us. <laughs> Thank the Lord he saves us. But it's the grace of God also that teaches us that by denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live holy in this life. We should live holy. And James talks about that same thing. When you think about sanctification, and that's a word, uh, the Greek word comes, it's the same word as holiness, as sanctifying and sanctification, sanctuary, all that comes from hagios, the same Greek word. So in James 4, 6 through 8, he says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Therefore, what should our response be? Submit to God. Push back. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Why is it essential that we follow that command? Because God's a holy God. And only by his grace can we attain holiness, pleasing and acceptable to him. <laughs> Apart from his grace, it's impossible to please God. There's no way we're going to please him. And I'll tell you this. I thought about it last week. I've been reading through the Old Testament, like I said. If it wasn't for the grace of God, we would be crushed by his holiness. We'd be crushed by it. If you doubt that, go back and read um, the last part of Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers, and into Deuteronomy. It's all about it's minute detail after minute detail, word after word after word after word of God speaking to Moses, giving him instruction about the tabernacle, about the utensils, about the sacrificial system, about the priestly office, about what they wear, how they sacrifice, and all of that. You know what it was given? It was all given to display to Israel God's holiness and to display to the world he's a holy God. Don't make any mistake about it. He spent many, many, many days and hours with Moses describing all this to, dis to demonstrate his holiness. But all that page after page after page after page of writing and of detailed instructions, they're all satisfied by one verse in the New Testament. One verse. By the grace of God, one verse. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> all one verse. <laughs> Believe in the Lord Jesus. Thank God that he saved us and thank him he did not leave us here and tell us to be holy without the presence of his spirit living in us. We couldn't do it. There's no way. We'd never make it. But he's with us moment by moment administering his grace through every test we have, every struggle we face over and over, giving us his grace. And we may not see it. We may not recognize it like we should. But be assured, he's right there with us, leading us, guiding us. He's directing us. Grace gives us the desire and the power not to perform some religious duty, but to just simply surrender. That's what it's all about. Surrender to him. So when we grieve the Holy Spirit, or we quench the Holy Spirit, as Ephesians 4.30 and 1 Thessalonians 5.19, those verses warn us not to do that. But we do it. And when we do it, we're rejecting Christ. We're rejecting God's grace. 
So we're pushing back on Jesus. We're deciding, I want to be in control. <laughs> and that's never a good thing. Well, in 1 Peter, think about holiness. I've got to catch up a minute. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10. This is probably my last big section of Scripture. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God. That literally in the Greek is, let God humble you. It's to humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in proper time, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that from the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Here it is, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, we can't do it, but it says, he will himself restore us, establish us, strengthen us, and support you after you've suffered a little while. You're going to go through difficulties, he's going to be there. He's promised, I'll never leave thee, I'll never, never, never forsake thee. He is always there, he is always there giving us his grace over and over and over again. And one other dimension of this ideal of grace and holiness is in the unseen world. This is another note I read by Spurgeon that just blew my mind. <laughs> it's in the unseen world, the things that don't take place. You see, because here Peter says, resist. You know, God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. You resist the devil, and he will pour his grace into your life to help you. And on that, on that section, I dropped down to Spurgeon, and it said this. See if you've ever been in this verse. I thought, man, I've, I've lived in this verse before, in this uh, <laughs> this commentary one of the greatest ways God grants us grace and mercy is not permitting now listen our inclinations and our opportunities to meet let that set a minute how many times our inclinations and our opportunities to meet have we not sometimes noticed that when we have had the inclination the desire to sin there's not been the opportunity to do so and when we have had the opportunity to sin, we've had no inclination or, towards it. Now you just think through that in your own life in the practical way. You know, how many times have we thought about it, but it didn't work out, the, the, the opportunity wasn't there? And how many times have we almost sinned, we've almost done that thing or not done that thing, whatever, and, and you know, but God protected us. God protected us. We had the desire but the opportunity wasn't there. So that's one of the greatest ways his grace may be ministered to us. <laughs> and um, all right, quickly, i got to get on through this. Faithful. What about his faithfulness? God is always applying his grace. He is a faithful God. He applies it to us time and time and time again. When we have been, notice that last line, the unfaithful to him. When we're most unfaithful, God is faithful. <laughs> We are the most unfaithful. He, he's faithful. Thad's been preaching through 1 John. Remember chapter 2, verse 1? Wherefore we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's our advocate. And I remember my son got up here, uh, Brian did one morning, leading us, and he said, it blows me away that we're his enemies. We're at odds with him. And that's when he's our advocate. <laughs> we're not, not, you would think when we obey him, he would be our advocate. But no, he's faithful. God is faithful. To give us his grace when we least deserve it or expect it probably. I'm telling you. So grace is extended to us over and over and over. And we can't understand why. When we're his enemies, but he's faithful when we're not. Because he's faithful, we know that his grace will make all things right one day. We know the end of the story. Because he's a faithful God, we can count on it. 
We can count on it. One day, his grace will turn every tragedy into triumph. His grace will turn every justice into rejoicing, and it will turn every loss into gain. It will. And his grace carries us through the pain and through the loss and through the difficulties of life, (laughs) helps us to take heart so that in the end, we can keep our eyes on eternity and what's really important. And thank God that he is faithfully, faithfully administering his grace to us. (laughs) We'd be in a lot of trouble without it. (laughs) He's a sovereign God. God demonstrates his grace, listen to this, whenever, however, and to whomsoever he so chooses. It's up to him. We may question why. We may say, God, like Paul, God, forgive, heal me, Lord. And no, my grace is sufficient. He's in, he's in, he's in charge, not us. That other passage in Exodus, I read 34, 33, he goes up, and this is where he's saying, I want to see your face, God. And God says, no, no, no man can see my face. But it says here, and he said, this is what God said to Moses, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim the name the Lord before you. And that's what he just did. And remember he said, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. (laughs) Reminding Moses, who is the Lord? (laughs) I am the Lord. (laughs) And he goes on, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. He's a sovereign God. This is one of Melinda's favorite attributes. (laughs) Maybe it's yours, I don't know. But she's always saying the sovereignty of God is something that's my favorite thought, my favorite attribute. And maybe so. God demonstrates his grace whenever, however, and toward whomsoever he, he, cho- he chooses to do so. And my question is, why me? You know, why, why me, Lord? But an illustration of that I thought about was when I was in Bible college, um, we had a class on Galatians. And uh, the teacher at the end, we had the semester exam. And everybody in there took the test and struggled through the exam. And at the end of the uh, test, we turned our papers in. The next day, we came back to the class. And everybody in there, everybody, it's like every one of you had 100 A+. Plus. Everybody. And so a bunch of us, you know, went to the teacher. We said, why did you give us 100 A+. Plus? And he said, well, what's the theme of the book of Galatians? <laughs> and we said, grace. He said, don't ever forget it. And I haven't. <laughs> the theme of the book of Galatians is grace. And everybody made 108 plus, praise the Lord, you know. But it's because he wanted to drive home the point of the book. What's the theme? But it's also because he had the power and authority to do that. He could show grace if he wanted to. That's what God does. Anytime he wants, he's sovereign. He shows grace when he wants to show it. He withholds it when he wants to. That's the hard part. (laughs) All right, now looking at real quick, serving grace. Serving grace, all sufficient, saving sanctifying now we're ready to serve <laughs> now we can talk about serving grace this section in second corinthians 9 second corinthians 9 is all about giving and 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 uh, the gifts of uh, money that were going to come from corinthian the corinthian church and paul's encouraging them to want the, the thing that you've started this thing that you've started to do go forward with it send that money help us bless us you know and he said uh, the lord loves a cheerful giver in that verse so it's all about grace and giving And it says there, and God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always, having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. God's grace is in us, causing it to overflow with this amazing grace to do good works for others. That's the direction of grace. It's not all about us. It's about ministering in the church, ministering in the body, like praying for someone when they're in the hospital, sending them a note. You know, It's God's grace that causes us. When he puts that thought in your mind as his child, He's, he's showing you grace. He wants you to be involved in that. And, and then that's going to create a chain of events that takes place. 
Like when you get that note in the hospital, you're what? You're humbled by people caring for you. So it benefits the body in a lot of ways. So we're caring for one another. And that's what Paul's talking about. That it, this grace will excel in every good work. God's grace is what causes us to care for the body. And this is a, you know, isn't this great to see everybody back here on Easter? I think we forget too easily, you know. We were all watching it at home a couple years ago. Empty pews. We had the puppets and muppets up here listening to that. <laughs> you know, nobody's in the church. So thank God for the body of Christ. Thank God we can serve one another. Thank God we can, we can, we can love and care one another in this ideal of serving grace. All right. The omniscience of God. Thought about this. God knows everything about us. He knows when to give us grace to trust him more. And what's needed to overcome temptations in our life. He knows. Never forget that. Okay? Never forget that he knows. And a passage I asked Amanda to put on was Exodus 3, 7 and 8a. This is when Moses is talking to God and he's trying to convince Moses that he's the man. You're the man. I'm going to send you. And here's what he started out with. And he said, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt. I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, and I know their sorrows, and I'm going to deliver them. See, God hears, he sees, he knows, and he does something about it. So always remember, by the grace of God, he knows where we're at. He knows when we're struggling towards sin. He knows that you're struggling with those same sins you committed when I was 17 years old. <laughs> you know, he knows that. We need to, he knows when you don't have enough money. I've been sitting in the pew as a young man, and, you know, the missionary sharing, and I'm struggling, like, I want to give some money to this missionary, but i got to have this $50 for my light bill, <laughs> you know? I've, we've been there, haven't we? I mean, it's a struggle sometimes, the finances and things that, in the real world that we live in, you know? And he knows when, when we've lost a loved one that we spent half our life with or 50 years with. My sister Bonnie's that way now. I know people in this church like that right now, 50 years, and now they're gone. And he knows. He's there. He sees your affliction. He knows. And his grace will carry you. He will minister to you. He knows that. He knows that struggle. He knows the struggle when your marriage is going through problems and difficulties. Don't ever think little. Don't, don't, don't disregard that. He knows. His grace is applied at exactly the moment we need it. Like when you're singing a solo. I know how nervous Rachel gets. Y'all don't know that, but she gets really nervous. And uh, getting up to preach, you know, or talk, or share, or make an announcement. Uh, go out and witness to someone. You know, when you're getting close to the opportunity, you think to give the gospel, and you're a nervous wreck about it. It's okay. His grace will be there when you need it. He gives his grace exactly. He knows. He knows when to give it, and he'll give it exactly the moment. I was pumped like adrenaline pumping like crazy before I came up here, and now I'm just no problem. You know? He knows. It's his grace. It's not me. And he'll do that for you when you're wanting to share the, the gospel. And you say, Lord, help me to know how to, how to witness to this person. Open that door of opportunity. He'll be there for you. <laughs> I promise. He'll be there. He'll do it. Because he, is, he knows all that. His, he, he knows when you're lying in the hospital and you're struggling with a surgery that you've got to face. And you've got, you know, this, this really fear and concern about how it's going to impact your family more. You're going to be with the Lord. But, but like I thought, what, what if you come out like a vegetable? What if you come out handicapped in some way? You know, you never know when you're into those situations. And he knows that. So the night before surgery, you're wrestling through the night. You're tossing, you're turning, you're praying. And all of a sudden, God just speaks grace to your heart. He gives you a peace that passes all understanding. All understanding. And he's there. 
Because he knows. And then you can just say, Lord, your will be done. Because he's such a good God. It's only by God's grace that that kind of peace and that settledness can come over your heart. <laughs> so don't think little of it. He knows. He knows. Thank God that he does. Also, also he's immutable. He's unchangeable. God's grace is forever a constant. I think you've gotten that from what I've been saying this morning. It's just a constant grace. It's steadfast. It's always there. Always has our best at heart. Malachi 3.6 says, for I am the Lord, I change not. I change not. He's constant. He never changes. He never, he never will let us down. And the grace of the Lord Jesus was exceedingly abundant with faith. Oh, surpassing grace. 1 Timothy 1.14. That thing clicked twice. Um, and, okay, surpassing grace. This is my favorite and final one. I know. It's getting close to going. I told that I'd be out here by 3 p.m. He said that was okay. So. <laughs> no. Surpassing grace. I love this one. It's the final one, surpassing grace. This one right here, uh, we read first uh, Tim, Peter. I'm going to just do Timothy 1.14. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. That word grace overflowed, in the King James, it's, uh, it's exceedingly abundant. Exceedingly abundant. And uh, this grace that God brings, is, it's, it's everywhere. The surpassing grace of God, exceedingly abundant. And uh, the Amplified says that of uh, superabundance. He's omnipresent. God's grace is everywhere. It's unescapable. It's, it's an ever-present in life. We just don't see it. We just don't see it. We don't consider it enough. He's so good to us. And we just take it for granted, I think, so many times. And aren't you so glad that his grace isn't bound up in the walls of a building? His grace isn't uh, given just to the clergy or the elders or the deacon. It's for every one of you. If you don't know Christ, it's for you to come to know Christ. He's working in your life all the time. He's bringing you to that point of surrender and, and uh, belief in him. And if you do know him, he's there con- all the time, showing himself strong on our behalf. And this word, this omnipresent ideal is, uh, is something because um, you can't go anywhere in the universe or 10,000 other galaxies and escape the grace of God. That's how awesome his grace is. It's everywhere. Amen? You can't go anywhere or 10,000 galaxies and escape it. And Brother David Jones that married Melinda and I, and we were 17 when we got married. And we went for marriage counseling. I didn't know I was going to tell you this, but I will. Oh, this is funny. And uh, we sat down for marriage counseling, and Brother David said, so you're determined to marry this girl, aren't you? And I said, yes, sir. I've already tried to run away with her once. And um, <laughs> I did. I went up to one of the courthouses, and I went in the courthouse and, uh, at the window, and uh, uh, the lady was there. And I said, I come to get a marriage license. I want to get a marriage license. She said, uh, how old are you? I said, I'm old enough to marry. I'm 19. I was early 17. And she said, she said, oh, you'll have to bring me back a birth certificate and a driver's license or something to prove that you're, married, you're old enough to marry. And I slid a 20 under the window. I said, ma'am, I heard I could get a marriage license here. <laughs> she slid it back. She said, not unless you got a birth certificate and marriage license. <laughs> so she just gave it right back to me. <laughs> so Brother David married us, though. And before counseling, he said, son, come back and see me in three months when you really need counseling. That's what I did. I never had a word of counsel but that. But later, when we became more dedicated to Christ, went to Bible college, you know, studied to be missionaries, we did things in our life that then when Brother David introduced, he said, God has taught me amazing things about his grace through this couple. <laughs> he never thought we'd make it, and a lot of people didn't. 
but God is good. And he used to say this. He would say, the grace of God will seek you out like the hound of heaven. He'll accomplish its will. Many may think, we may think we have no hope. We may think we have no purpose in life. We may be running from God or denying that we ever knew him or that he even exist. We may be struggling with our identity in Christ or confused about, you know, uh, something that's caused doubt in our faith. We may have a, a crisis of faith going on in ourselves. But you cannot run the grace of God. You cannot sin it. It's just too great. You cannot run it. I felt that way many times that I've just sinned too much. I struggled with the same things all my life. But no, no, he's always there. Because 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He's not going to forsake us. He is always there. And those thoughts many times, people, trust me, I love you all. And most times those thoughts come from the devil, come from Satan. Satan wants to discourage you. He wants you to doubt your faith. He wants to trip you up and cause you to become a disaster. He wants to destroy your testimony. And he's, he works every day at it. That verse in Peter says he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Seeking whom he may devour. But you know, Satan is a defeated foe and he doesn't even know it. <laughs> because he's doing that. He's walking about like a roaring lion. But he cannot understand. He has never embraced the grace of God in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> because his pride won't let him. He's so filled with pride. And even the angels, you know, they've never had occasion to experience the grace of God. So they desire to look into salvation there. It's a curious thing to them. And they, they rejoice when we're saved. That's great. The Bible tells us that. But it, it's something that they, they desire to look into. The angels can't comprehend it. But the grace of God, God's grace. Let me see if I'm caught up. Nope, went two times. The grace of God is everywhere. And it's all powerful. Our God is an amazing God. I'm going to just tell you what I wrote right here. I want to give it to you strong. Our God is an amazing God. His grace is an amazing grace. You can't deny it. You can't hide from it. You can't run from it. You can't outsend it. And you can't live without it. <laughs> That's right. Our God's grace is amazing. Amen? I tell you. And you may be here. You may say, oh, I've prayed for this person. I know this person. I've prayed for him year after year after year. And he's pushed back on God's grace. And he rejects God's grace. Won't have anything to do with God's grace. That may be true. We know people like that. All of us do. But how many times, what we don't know is how many times God's grace has been at work in that person's life. How many times has God spared that person's life? How many times has he brought them into a Christian witness? How many times has he brought conviction to their soul? How many times has he worked in a way that, that the person was right at the point of surrender and, and he chose self? I mean, how many times has God worked in those people's lives? So many times. I think one thing we're going to do in heaven, you know, it said of Jesus that he came to earth and he came sharing stories. <laughs> Jesus told a lot of stories. And in heaven, I think one thing we're going to do is we're going to sit around for the millennials and hear stories about God's grace. We're just going to hear millions and billions of stories about how God's grace worked. Not just in salvation, but in protection and provision and so many other ways in our life. I was thinking about my cousin, Mike. <laughs> Mike was a um, really smart kid growing up. And he, great athlete, got into business, successful in anything he did in business. And somewhere along the way, Mike started drinking. And he ended up drinking his whole life away. Got older, had liver cancer. And one day I'm driving a car with Melinda on a Saturday and my phone rings and it's my cousin, Deb. And she says, hey, Dave, uh, I'd like to see if you could come over and um, talk, to my talk to Mike. And I put it on mute, and I said, this is Deb. She's wanting me to talk to Mike. 
Mike's an agnostic. He has pushed back on the gospel his whole life. He ain't had no time for God his whole life. He's drank his life away. I don't know what I'm going to say to Mike. And I said, okay. Debbie didn't know I did that. <laughs> but I, I said, okay, uh, yeah, Deb, what's going on? And she said, well, David, um, I want you to come see Mike. The postman came by. I said, the postman came by? And she said, yeah, we're, we're the last house on his route. And he stopped, and he gave us the mail. Mike, I wasn't home, but Mike made his way to the, to the, uh, out of bed and got over and went to the door, and he took the mail. And the postman said to Mike, Mike, if you died today, where would you spend eternity? The postman said to Mike, tell me God's grace isn't amazing. But the postman said that to Mike, and Mike said, that's a very good question. And right there, he accepted Christ at the door. And so I told Debbie, I would love to see Mike. <laughs> and I went over a few days later, and Mike was completely changed. He was not questioning the Bible at all. I mean, he was completely embracing Christ. And I was like, thank you, God, for your amazing grace. See, we give up too soon on people. They could be 85, 90 years old, but God's grace is still having impact in their lives. We should never forget it because it's, it, is, it is an amazing grace. It's all-powerful. It's all-powerful. And what do we sing? It's mighty to save. Christian life is impossible to live without God's grace. And it's all powerful when we are powerless. When we have nothing to give, he keeps giving. It's amazing. His power is transfused into us by his grace when we come to know him. And then daily by day, it's there. If we just recognize it, his grace carries us on through life. Have you ever witnessed that, that power in your own life? To know him and then to serve him, to live for him? You know, I think that's the, something we've got to think through. I witnessed that power when I was 17 years old. I left Melinda's house. I pulled my car over one night about midnight. I was a young guy in love, crazy, wanted to get married, and, uh, you know, all these crazy things. But I was so convicted. So don't think little of the conviction in our lives. When that conviction is there is the reason. And I pulled my car over, and I said, Lord, I said, God, come into my life and save me. I want to believe you as Melinda believes you. I want to have a relationship with you like she does. And I prayed that prayer over and over and over because I wanted to feel a feeling in my life. But there was no feeling, but I was expressing faith and didn't even know it. Because <laughs> the next morning, I went in and told my mom, who had become a Christian the year before, and she cried and hugged me. It was a very special time, but I was scared because I wasn't sure it was real. But the fact that I wanted to tell my mom meant something, didn't it? <laughs> and the next morning, I didn't want to cuss. I, I, I remember hugging my mom and saying, you might have a preacher on your hands. <laughs> So God's grace is amazing, and we should not give up on people. I became a new creation in Christ, you know, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Everything became new to me. In that moment, he infused grace into my life. I could put an X on the spot when it happened. Maybe with you, you grew up in church, and you don't have that X. That's fine, too. But if you have a relationship, the evidence that you know Christ is you have a relationship with Christ. See? And you see his grace in your life. That's the evidence. But God's grace is amazing grace. It's sufficient. It's all-powerful. It lacks nothing. It never falls short and it never runs out. It keeps on giving and giving and giving and giving. His grace is given in eternal abundance. Super abundance. It's all-powerful. It never changes and it's always seeking to bring about holiness in our lives. Thank God for his amazing grace. He alone has tr the tr truly the power to change lives. We can't do it ourselves. Thank him for his grace. And here's our outline again, just to give you those uh, um, 
attributes we talked about today. Sufficient grace, greater than all our sin. <laughs> greater than all our sin. Grace, uh, saving grace, heals our sin-sick soul. Loving, compassionate, and justice deals with saving grace. Sanctifying grace keeps us holy. He's a holy God. He's a faithful God. He's a sovereign God. And then serving grace keeps us humble, omniscient and immutable, knows when to give it to us, and, and it will never change, always giving it to us. And then surpassing grace keeps us hopeful. He's all-powerful, and he's all-knowing. So just a few quick applications, questions. Uh, how do we acquire God's grace? What means does his grace come into our lives? By believing in Jesus Christ, by surrendering to him, by surrendering to him. And what's the, what hinders grace? Sin. And chiefly pride. Mainly pride is the one that, that hinders grace. And one sign of a humble heart. Humility is the pathway to grace. And one sign of a humble heart is that it's a, grat- a heart of gratitude and thankfulness. If you want to, and that's who we say, well, I don't want to pray for humility. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. I don't either. I don't want to be crushed by God in some way. But, but, but then again, humility comes through thankfulness. You learn to be a thankful person. Learn to thank God in all things and, and try to learn to have a, a heart of gratitude and humility will come. You'll begin to put, try to put others first and look out. I'm not a humble person. <laughs> I'm a type A guy. I can't help it. But I'm trying to learn humility. And part of that is trying to learn to be thankful and, and considerate of others and you know, have a heart of gratitude. So sin hinders, pride hinders. What's, what's, why is it important for believers to recognize and acknowledge God's grace in their lives? Because it shifts the focus off of me. And all of it onto God. We'll shift it to him. It takes it away from me, my abilities, my strengths, my, my failures, whatever, whatever's going on in my life, it moves it all over to God. And it makes us realize moment by moment our need of Christ, <laughs> our desperate need of Christ. Where would we be without grace? How many times has God spared us from the folly of sin and broken fellowship without us even knowing it? I tell you, God, so many times the elders get a report of a family broken or something will be happening with, a, with a infidelity or something. And I can't tell you how many dozens of times I've heard the elders say, but for the grace of God. You know, we're one decision away from that. One decision away. One bad, one bad decision is all it takes to wreck your testimony in your life. So we have to be on guard, staying surrendered to him. A <laughs> uh, challenge I'll leave you with is that this prayer, Lord, please help me. Just wake up in the morning and say, please, before you get out of bed, please help me to be more aware of your grace in my life today. Thank you for the gift of grace, Lord. Now I'm going to pray, and the choir is going to sing. I've got to go back over there, and they're going to sing the last song. And it's a great song about grace. It's all about this. And when you leave, just let that song, you'll be dismissed after. No one, nothing, nothing else is going to happen. You'll just be dismissed. And think about that song. Let it linger. Let the ideal of grace linger in your mind this week. And if you're here and you don't know the Lord, you want to talk to someone, you can talk to me or Pastor Thad or pretty much any of these old guys around here will talk with you, I'm sure. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. We can't say it enough. We just can't say it enough, Lord, without your grace. And Lord, if your grace wasn't linked to all your attributes, I mean, if your grace was not eternal, where would we be? If you didn't know when to apply it. If it wasn't all-powerful, all these things, Lord, it's just been such an eye-opener for me, and I hope it's helped people here to learn to appreciate your grace more, to consider your grace daily in our lives.
please, Lord, help us to do that. Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, I just pray they'd pray that prayer I prayed, that pray, pray the prayer I prayed years ago. Lord, just come into my life and save me. I believe you're the Savior of the world. You're the Son of God. I can't save myself. I need you. Please, Lord, save me. Save me, Lord. Fill me with your spirit. And let me live for you. Father, we rejoice in your resurrection today. We rejoice in who you are in our lives. And we thank you for the power of grace. And we give it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen.